sometimes the best stories in golf aren't found on tour you'll find them at the back of the range and here's your host ben adelberg greetings again from the back of the range i am your host ben adelberg this is episode 245 I'm back home from my three-week road trip that started in Tampa at the Gasparilla Invitational, then out to Palm Springs, California for the Prestige, and then finally back to Sea Island, Georgia for the Jones Cup Senior Invitational. Lots of travel, but had a blast covering these three events. All three were completely unique, which is what makes golf great. No two or three tournaments are exactly the same. I think you all know that I enjoy spending time at Sea Island. You'll be seeing the back of the range at Sea Island many times throughout the year. And despite freakish windstorms that caused suspension in play at the Prestige, I love PGA West. Um, just something about the mountains and the cloud cover. And, well, it's it's just phenomenal to be out there. And very thankful to Stanford and UC Davis for having me out. That brings me to the Gasparilla. I was beyond impressed with Kevin Dutkowski, Jack Compton, Director of Golf, Joe Hodge, and really the entire Palmasia membership because that tournament is incredible. The response that I received from the content that I created was overwhelmingly positive and appreciated. And I can't wait to get back in 2023 to see what else they're going to do next year to make it better. That's their goal, which really should be every tournament's goal. How do we get better? So I'm very excited moving forward to be associated with the Gasparilla Invitational. Just a few housekeeping items before we get into this next episode. Thank you to everyone that has reached out regarding the last episode, the one that featured the new president-elect of the USGA, Fred Perpall. Really blown away with all of the response. Very proud of that episode. Thanks to Fred and the USGA for making that episode a reality. It's very exciting to learn about his personal and professional journey and the direction that the USGA is going to be headed in. Congrats to Mike McCoy and Nathan Smith. They were named United States Walker Cup captains recently. McCoy will lead the team in 2023 at St. Andrews, and Nathan Smith will captain the U.S. team when they next appear on home soil at Cypress Point in 2025. Exciting news and a tremendous honor for both of these amateur legends. Both McCoy and Smith have been guests on the back of the range in the past. And I would imagine that I'll be catching up with them both many times over the next couple years as their respective teams take shape. So if you haven't listened to their episodes, go back, check them out. You know how to do that by now. Go to the website, thebackoftherange.com. I'm heading back out on the road later this week, really excited to check out a tournament that uh, that I've never been to before. The Linger Longer Invitational at Reynolds Lake Oconee up in Georgia, Mercer and Kennesaw State are the hosts. They have some great teams coming in, Georgia, UNC, Vanderbilt, just to name a few. Never been to Reynolds before, so looking forward to getting up there. Special thanks to the people at Reynolds for putting me up for the week. So make sure you're following on social media. You can check out the back of the range on Instagram, or go to Linger Longer Invitational on Instagram. That's where you'll find all the photos and videos and interviews that I'll create throughout the entire tournament. My guest on this episode is the new Jones Cup Invitational champion, Palmer Jackson. Palmer led wire to wire and braved the elements at Ocean Forest to come out on top, 
win the Jones Cup, and pick up that PGA Tour exemption into the RSM Classic later this season. We recapped the week for him, but also spoke about his start in the game, as I like to do here at the back of the range. Lots of great information in this one. Really enjoyed getting to know Palmer throughout the week. Let's get started. Palmer, welcome to the back of the range. How are you? I am fantastic. Couldn't be better. Very well, you better be. I mean, reigning Jones Cup Invitational Champion. We're just a few days outside of Sea Island. And really like finding out that uh, although we're not doing this face-to-face, we are both in the sunny state of Florida right now. You're up in Orlando doing some qualifying for uh, for Notre Dame, uh, getting ready for the spring season. Um, how much fun is it to be in South? We're going to call Orlando South Florida. How much fun is it to be in South Florida right now after what we dealt with at the Jones Cup? Playing today in 80 degrees felt like 100, and, and that's a good thing. That's right? a good thing. So you get to actually pack shorts for a trip, and you're like, oh, my God, this is great. Yeah, it's very rare that uh, us fighting Irish from Notre Dame get to wear shorts, but this week is definitely one of them. Your, uh, your coach, John Handergan, he was a uh, guest on the show uh, previously, and I, I don't remember um, – I'd be funny to see or be a fly on the wall when he's ordering all of your gear for the season. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, we'll take seven pairs of pants and seven pullovers and seven jackets and, and beanies and yeah, throw in a pair of shorts. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Make sure. Okay. <laughs> we'll just do one. It's pretty much what it looks like. They under armor treats us well and they know we get the worst of the weather. So they send us these jackets that are <laughs> so thick that you could probably be out there all day and not get cold, which is a good thing. But yeah. yeah, they treat us well. Yeah, they're like, we got some leftover ski gear from the U.S. Olympic team. <laughs> hey, I know where to send that. So, perfect. Yeah. Uh, so, so again, you know, coming off of Jones Cup, uh, really no break. Like I said, you're getting ready to ramp up the spring season. You're getting into qualifying. And we'll talk a little bit about Jones Cup. Um, you know, we'll recap just a, a, a little bit of that uh which I would have to say, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I would say that's got to be the biggest career or biggest win of your amateur career thus far. For sure. That is at the top of the list for the time being. And until something else trumps that, that will be the best memory in my mind for sure. Yeah. So always fun to learn about how guests here at the back of the range get into the game of golf. And that's going to be a very... <laughs> It's going to be a very quick discussion. So growing up in Murraysville, Pennsylvania, you grew up like, I guess, 20, 30 minutes away from Oakmont, site of Arnold Palmer's final U.S. Open appearance in 1994. Your first name is Palmer. Um, we're not going to really need to dive too deep and you know pull, pull the layers back and try and figure this one out. You're named after the man himself. So I guess golf was going to be in your future in some shape or form. And um, that's just that's just how it was going to be. I guess so. I played a couple sports growing up, but I think the namesake pushed me towards one in particular, and I'm pretty glad it did. Now, this is probably a better question for your parents, but you know, you know, being named after Arnold Palmer, do you maybe know the story of how that idea came to pass? And then, I guess also, do you remember when you first understood who you were named after? Because, you know, when you're four or five years old, you're probably not understanding that. But at some point when you're told and then you actually research and find out who Arnold Palmer is, when did you that kind of when did that register with you? Yeah, first, my parents, I think my dad just suggested the name Palmer to my mom and she loved it. And then 
about six months later, my dad was, uh, he was either the walking scorer or something like that for Arnold Palmer and his group at Laurel Valley okay. in, in Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh area. So the connection quickly, uh, became more significant when my dad got that opportunity. But yeah, for me, the first time I remember realizing that I was named after such an amazing person and golfer was after I realized I was named, I had the same name as Carson Palmer and Carson Palmer was the quarterback for the Cincinnati Bengals. So I had all kinds of jerseys with uh, the orange Cincinnati number nine that said Palmer on the back. And once, once that kind of wore off, I realized that, wow, there was this, this amazing golfer named Arnold Palmer. And I was probably, I don't know, eight or nine. And ever since then, it's kind of a part of my life every day. So we've, we've kind of figured out how you got into the game of golf. Um, you know, you're playing in, in Western Pennsylvania or in the Pittsburgh area. I know that, um, you know, a lot of, you're at Hannistown golf club, a lot of, you know, great junior programs there. I know you've been at several different clubs in the area. Um, but I want to talk baseball, and I rarely get to talk baseball on a golf podcast. You know, you are not actually the first pitcher that have been a guest here at the back of the range. Brett Saberhagen, Kansas City Royals great, 85 World Series. He was here, and that was a, a thrill. But you played Franklin Regional High School. Uh, you guys were tremendously su- successful. So you were a pitcher. I have to ask, you, you throw a knuckleball, don't you? I, I do throw a knuckleball, yeah. When did – okay, who taught you the knuckleball? When did that start? Because that's like such an old-timer, old-guy kind of pitch. <laughs> so anyone that's, you know, young and throws a knuckleball, how did that start? My dad actually showed me the knuckleball as no an alternative way. to a – as an alternative to a curveball because back in – back in the Cooperstown years, um, you weren't – maybe you weren't allowed to throw curveballs. I can't quite remember, but – my dad didn't want me flipping my wrist like that and putting yeah. the stress on my, my elbow and shoulder. So he showed me the knuckleball and then he also showed me a knuckle curve. And those were my two alternative pitches other than a fastball. And I'm so glad they were because it just gives you so much creativity. And I don't even know which way the knuckleball is going to move. Yeah. I don't know how the hitter could. And or it the, was a lot or, of fun to throw. Or, or the catcher, by the way. There's one other yeah. person. Yeah, there's one other person. <laughs> I, my catcher got pretty angry at me a couple times when I jam his thumb but yeah the um i i threw well see i was see i didn't have anyone really looking out for me too much as far as my arm i was like the 11 and 12 year old pitcher in little league that had the curveball that started at the kid's ear and ended up on the outside part of the plate (laughs) and then by the time like so everyone was terrified of me but then by the time i was 15 and really my arm was done that was pretty much the end of that but Hey man, had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, there's nothing better than just snapping a curve, but yeah, just completely shreds your arm. So that was probably smart. <laughs> so was baseball? I know this is putting you in a weird spot. I mean, obviously you're one of the top ranked amateurs in the world right now, but at mm-hmm. that time in high school, is baseball your favorite over golf, or are they kind of neck and neck? Obviously, you pick the one that has the most, I guess, upside as far as a future career. But that had to have been kind of an interesting balance in high school. I absolutely loved pitching in baseball and I loved the games and I loved the team aspect. Right. But I wouldn't say I was as devoted to the practices as I was uh-huh. for golf. And my my head coach, Coach Sadler from uh Franklin Regional, he was very good about if I need ever needed to leave practice a little early to to catch some daylight on the course, he'd always let me do that. And 
I'd say it was probably around eighth grade when I transitioned from what I thought was being at better at baseball to being better at golf. And right. once I hit high school, I pretty much knew golf was my ticket, but I mean, I, I started on the varsity team as a freshman. Oh, I had, no. I had some innings there and it was very fun for me, but I think deep down I knew that I may not have had the arm strength or the, the direct work ethic for baseball to, to make it the whole way. That's because they make pitchers run ungodly distances over and over and over again. That's the, that's what we're getting <laughs> down to is you just don't like to run miles, do you? <laughs> uh, well, I, I actually really liked running. My, oh, okay. my coach would make me run poles, which was the right field pole uh-huh. around the outfield fence to the, to the left field pole and back. I probably ran 20 of those the day after I pitched and I enjoyed it, but uh, most pitchers don't. Yeah, that's uh, that's what I remember about pitchers. They just get those. It's almost like they get sent off like field goal kickers or punters. Like, all right, special teams, you know, farmer, you know, do some laps. Just just keep running. So, yeah, that's <laughs> exactly. just that's not good. So you're getting to this point in, in any junior golfer or, or you know, high school um, athlete where it's time to kind of figure out what, uh, you know, what high school you want to or I'm sorry, what what college you want to go to. Um, you know, very successful in AJGA events and obviously winning, um, you know, won the junior championship, Pennsylvania Golf Association Junior Championship. So you're you're a name, you're getting attention. And, you know, I always like to kind of point out to listeners that, um, you know, it's not you don't have to go to every or, you know, you can find success going uh, and playing collegiate golf. It does not need to be at all these top tier schools that are traditional golf powerhouses. And I think if I'm remembering correctly, you looked at Stanford, you looked at Duke, ultimately going to Notre Dame. Was it always a decision of kind of going to a school where maybe if it's not the priority, it's definitely a huge factor, obviously academics. How did you start navigating your recruiting process and trying to find the best fit for you? For me, I set some some early goals. My My parents and I worked out kind of a system where we had some stretch schools which at the time were Duke and Notre Dame and then some middle layer schools that I was looking at and some backup plans. And I had all my focus on getting, hearing back from Duke, North Carolina, Notre Dame, whatever those best schools were. And when you get recruited by schools that have high academics, it's very challenging to go against that because you know, you can't, you can't predict what's going to happen in the future and an injury or something like that. You've got a great backup plan going to a, academic institution right and it was definitely a challenge for me seeing the schools like Oklahoma State having interest in me and thinking I could be the next Ricky Fowler and having to make my decision to want to change a program and the trajectory of a program and picking Notre Dame to leave a lasting impact you mentioned injury I know you had a injury in high school from being a pitcher I believe it was a a torn labrum or something like that a shoulder Mm -hmm. so do you think that actually influences your thought process because most kids when they're 17 18 years old they're not thinking about injuries they're not thinking they're i mean 17 18 year olds are invincible in their eyes they're like i'm never gonna get hurt did that injury actually maybe kind of point you in that direction and get you thinking about that that injury occurred my senior year so i was already committed okay but i will say my parents really instilled in me that academics were incredibly important and I couldn't agree more because the more effort you put in towards school and take care of business over there and challenge yourself the more you're going to want to do that on the golf course 
Interesting. And okay. That, that's the the uh, dynamic I've found. But yeah, I've had some right shoulder. I have a right a torn labrum in my right shoulder. I have some hip issues, but all manageable and all stuff that I've gotten stronger to work around. So everybody faces it. It's just a matter of what. Sure. So you're at Notre Dame. When most people think of Notre Dame athletics, they're going to think football. I'm a Kansas guy. So that's, you know, that's a basketball school. And then we can talk about the football schools. Obviously there's the Oklahoma's and the Texas and all, all of that. Um, what's it, what's the environment athletic, you know, just the athletic environment being a, you know, member of a team that may not be the team that gets the most attention do you, uh, gosh, going to a Notre Dame football game has to be just an absolutely incredible bonus to just being a college student. The football games are special to say the least. Right. We've, we always have a great team and they do a great job uh, selecting teams to play that we're always going to be competitive with and it's always a close game. Um, and yeah, being, a, being an athlete at Notre Dame and not being on the, say, football team or basketball team you can fly under the radar, but then again, when you have great accomplishments, you're going to be recognized. And I remember my freshman year, our team got to go on the field during the football games, I think twice. Oh my and gosh. that was so cool <laughs> to have your, your face on the screen up there and have everyone cheering for you. So that was awesome. They don't make you work out in the same gym as the football team, do they? No, but we do work out in the hockey arena. Oh, and no. <laughs> Yeah, ironically, though, ironically, our team is really close with the hockey team. And hockey players, I guess, like to golf. And we've got a couple guys that played pretty serious hockey growing up. So we're we're good buddies with the hockey guys. And it's it's definitely nice to have another team that we can kind of chit-chat about whatever and talk about golf or hockey. It's cool. That's uh, Those are guys that, you know, after you turn 21 in your senior year and, you, you know, you know, on the weekend when you have nothing going on, you want to, you know, pop over to the watering hole for maybe maybe a beer <laughs> or two. Yeah. Those are the guys you want to bring with you. Just, just, you know, just in case things go sideways, just have those guys with you because you, you should be pretty safe then. Yeah, no doubt. Those guys are pretty cool. It's cool <laughs> talking to guys who are, who are drafted on NHL teams and looking to your right in class and seeing guys that are drafted are going to be drafted in the NFL. It's just a pretty cool environment having all those great athletes around you. It makes you want to be one yourself. Sure. Sure. Hey, golfers are athletes, man. I mean, you're an athlete. Let's not, you know, don't just cause they're hockey players. We're, we're still athletes. Come on now. <laughs> I, I agree. Okay. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, I'm with we're, you. We're, we're pro golf, you know, golfers are athletes. We're, we got to get a t-shirt made or something like that. So, I had, um, so as I said, Coach Handrigan, um, head coach at Notre Dame, I had him on the podcast, and I know we talked about this on the, on his episode. I know you have great facilities there on campus. Um, you know, have to have indoor facilities because of the weather up there. And, you know, uh, there's nothing wrong with a little road trip south to find some warmer weather. I mean, you're in the middle of one right now. I mean, you guys came down to South Florida, get some work in, get some qualifying done. And when you're in the recruiting process and coach says, oh, we, you know, we travel south. And, yeah, every Midwest team can go south and play tournaments. I mean, there's the Puerto Rico event and Bahamas and there's stuff in Florida. But when you find out that the Notre Dame men's golf team doesn't just play in, in southern climate, you actually take weekend practice trips to go to these special places, which we're going to talk about in a minute. And then you get to do – I mean, what was your first trip – on the team 
for one of these these jaunts down south for a practice? Where did you go? Do you remember like the first one? You're like, oh my gosh, this is a real thing. Well, in the fall semester, we don't take those trips, obviously, because the, the weather is fine. Right. But the second week of January, we got to school and we headed down to a special place in Georgia, and that was Augusta National. I heard about <laughs> that joint. That's a nice place. Yeah. Yeah, and our, our so our first practice trip was to Augusta National, and we got to play out there with a couple great alumni, and it, it just showed that Coach Handergan was <laughs> – he, he really cared, and he had these connections that not many schools have. Now, did you – did the whole team – I have to ask, did the whole team get to go, or did he actually put a qualifier together to go on that trip? <laughs> no, the whole team got okay. to go to that one. Okay, because, I mean, he sounds like a nice guy, but if he did that, I'd be like, oh, my gosh, that's 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 devilish. Why would you do that? So No, yeah. The whole team went, and we were there over two days, so oh. one, of our, uh, one of our seniors, I think, got to play twice, which was good for him. It was it was awesome. I think I tried to tell coach that I had like maybe a half a semester of eligibility left, and if there was a spot on the team, and that that got shut down pretty quickly. That didn't work so well for me. But um, <laughs> but you guys go That's not surprising. I, yeah, I know. I was like, I, I, there's a no win situation, but I thought I'd throw it out there. So you guys go, I think to, I think medalist, maybe Old Marsh. I know Seminole. There's there's a really special connection between Notre Dame and Seminole, obviously. Um, so these are great things that you get to do. And I guess it also gives you kind of the motivation to stay sharp throughout the season because, you know, if you're going down for a qualifying, you know, you can't take the entire team all the time. But this has to be another motivation. Just say, hey, I, I want to keep my game sharp and I want to enjoy these incredible experiences. When you go down and play practice trips at Seminole and Bears Club and MacArthur, wherever else we go, and you're not on top of your game, you uh, <laughs> you come home feeling worse than you you came down here. So you have to be on top of your game. You have to be getting better while you're at school and when you're down here and knowing that you've got that challenge ahead while you're grinding on schoolwork on Wednesday, just knowing that you're going to be playing at Seminole or wherever right. on the weekend is, is something to look forward to, but it's also you knowing that you're going to get better that weekend. Yeah. And you don't want to go down there thinking you got like two papers due because then you can't actually enjoy the experience. Exactly. Yeah. Jimmy Dunn, big, big supporter of Notre Dame, obviously president of Seminole. That's the that's the, one of the big connections along with other places, I would imagine. But he's just such a special guy. I, I was fortunate enough to spend time with him. Probably, you know, people ask me, what's your favorite episode? That's I can't answer that question, but it's definitely one of the most memorable ones I've had is speaking with Mr. Dunn. Do you remember mm -hmm. the first time meeting him and maybe just the impact he's had on just your experience at Notre Dame? If I remember correctly, the first time I met him was on a trip down to Seminole my freshman year. Either way, it was it was my freshman year. And I'd heard about this amazing guy who obviously donates an incredible amount of money to Notre Dame and supports the athletic programs, the golf team, and I remember someone saying that you don't want to mess with him and you don't want to lose it. You don't want to lose a match to him. Or if you're on his team, you definitely don't want to lose. Right. And of course me, the freshman gets paired with him my freshman year. And I I'm pretty sure I was playing against him. I can't quite remember, but either way, my name ended up with a loss next to it and he wasn't happy, but he is, he is a great guy. He really helps our program. And just knowing that, um, we have somebody like that and many other people that are willing to help us is, 
it, it really makes you feel like you're in good hands. Yeah. And he's done so much for the, the game of golf and Notre Dame that he just, he, he's a huge difference maker for our team. And we really appreciate him. Anytime I get to spend with him chatting is uh, I spent I spent time with him at the Walker Cup at Seminole and that boy you want to talk about a guy that never stops smiling for three or four days oh my gosh <laughs> oh and 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 I don't know if you know this complete boss move by him he played a game a match I think actually the morning of the practice round before <laughs> everyone else went off there was one game that went off it was him and a couple other guys. And they went off before the, the the teams went off. I mean, I saw that. I'm like, that is the coolest boss move I think I've ever seen. Yeah, I'm just I'm just remembering this now. But we were at the Grove with him, Michael Jordan's place. Okay, let me just pick last... that, let me just pick that name up that you dropped there. Okay, go ahead. Sorry, not to cut you off. Go ahead. <laughs> well, we were there in last spring. Okay, and Mr. Dunn oftentimes brings his dog Frankie out on the course. Love it. And uh, we're on the second hole, and I'm I've got driver in hand, and I see the dog kind of running around, maybe ten yards in front of the the tee box, and all of a sudden I'm about to pull the trigger, and the dog runs across the tee box, and me I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna hit this, and I rip driver, and this ball couldn't have missed Frankie's head by more than two feet, oh and God. I I saw my life flash before my eyes when I hit it, but. Uh, it's, I'm really lucky I didn't hit him because that'd be the end of me at Notre Dame. That's for sure. <laughs> I was going to say, I was like, I've uh, that's you're done. That's it. We, you're, there's no more. There's yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. I don't know what to say about that. that. I mean, what was his reaction? I mean, everyone was just froze. Well, of course he played it off and didn't say much, but uh, we brought it up recently and he said that that would have been the end of me. So I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> I'm pretty, I'm pretty fortunate that didn't happen, but we, he, uh, he laughed it off and as, as you would expect. Yeah. We would have been talking to you as uh, Palmer Jackson, apparently at some sort of a university in East Appalachia state or something like that. <laughs> we don't know where you are, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad, I'm glad you, you caught that, uh, you know, kind of kept your, uh, kept your weight back on that drive and got that thing a little bit more airborne. So that's, uh, that worked out for everyone, especially Frankie. Um, gosh. Yeah. yeah I was, I was. I was definitely hitting up on that drive once oh. I saw him in my peripheral vision. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. That's always fun to change your swing path uh, right at the top of the backswing. That's a fun thing to do, right? I mean, it's definitely a talent to <laughs> do that and still make it go straight. And um, <laughs> I guess I did it well there. Yeah, at that point, who really cares where it goes? Just don't kill a dog. That's really, that's yeah, right. really where it is. Um, <laughs> yeah. So you have – so we're, we're, we're kind of moving into, to, you know, obviously – as I said, you know, winning the Jones Cup, this is, we're talking right now, obviously, February of 2022. And really, you know, we're going to pivot towards what led up to that. You know, really, since the fall season last year, you had five collegiate tournaments. Your worst finish is 13th. You won Stevens Cup at, at Ocean. You play mm-hmm. in three amateur events. South Beach came in 11th, runner-up at the Patriot. You win the Jones. I know that the Western Am and USAM last summer didn't exactly go the way you would have liked it to. Um, but when you kind of... I mean, it, can you pinpoint anything that really kind of got you kind of going in the right direction this fall? Was it just getting back to school? Was it a something in your swing that you've worked on? What do you think kind of put you on this run? It was probably the U.S. Amateur. And okay. my best friend from home, his name is Mark Getz. He was the medalist yeah. at the U.S. Amateur at Oakmont. Of course. And I remember 
asking him maybe a week after it ended, I go, what were you thinking about this week? Like, how were you medalist? And he basically said, all I was thinking about was what my attitude was going to be over the next shot I was going to hit. And I kind of took that to heart and thought like, wow, that's, that's pretty interesting. And I applied it and kind of applied some more stuff about emotional control and controlling reactions to the point where I started studying a lot of Patrick Cantlay and seeing his philosophies and the PGA tour obviously was releasing stuff about him because he was playing so well last year. And I really just changed my frame of mind a little bit towards trying to control everything I could control and accepting that Cantlay said this, you're going to play a lot of golf and you're going to hit good shots. You're going to hit bad shots and just accepting before you play that that's going to happen makes it easier to hit good shots. And that was something I picked up on, but it was definitely at Oakmont when I had a lot of pressure on me to try to win because I'm the hometown kid and I missed the cut that I realized, okay, I know my game was good, but why did this happen? Yeah, I was thinking of that. I mean, that makes a lot of sense because anyone in that situation, if you're, I mean, that has to be the same thing for just about any top amateur. If the USAM or the Western AM comes to your town, or if you're, you know, if you're a Chicago guy and you're playing the Western AM, or in this situation, you're you're a, you know, Western Pennsylvania guy and the USAM's at Oakmont, you know, do you remember kind of what your thought process was like the month leading up? And was it just everyone that you could imagine saying, Hey, you know, do it for, do it for PA or, you know, we're, we're, I mean, was it just an onslaught of that the entire time? There were definitely a lot of comments supporting me and people that wanted to help get me on Oakmont, get me on Longview. And I'd played both before, so I didn't want to over-prepare, but really the story was that I wasn't exempt and neither was Mark or Sean Knapp, who's a great player from pittsburgh and we all had to go to the same qualifier at sunny hannah country club yeah and we all managed to get through it but dealing with the pressure of the u.s amateur is in your hometown you got to go qualify and i heard people say stuff like well there's five spots in this qualifier but (laughs) there's really only four because palmer is automatically going to get one and you got to (laughs) really yeah think about like what that means and I didn't let it affect me, but it was it was certainly a unique experience having people assume that I was going to make it. And I'm like, hold on, hold your horses here. I'm not in the tournament yet. And in order to win it, I've got to get in. So, yeah, that was probably the most challenging part. And then at Oakmont and Longview, I was prepared. I just played a little poorly, let let some emotions get to me that I wanted to win so badly. And when things went a little south, I pressed and it just doesn't work golf doesn't work like that (laughs) that's got to be a yeah that's got to be a crazy experience when you're you're having people say oh well he's going to automatically get in i mean this is 36 holes in one day and you just you have no idea what it's going to be like you don't know what your game's going to be like that day and you have a couple bad holes and you know there's so many good players trying to get into a u.s amateur and yeah that's got to be terrible to to just have that oh well he's going to get in because it's palmer jackson It was tough. I tried to block out the noise and use what I could to my advantage. Fortunately, I'd played well at Sunny Hannah earlier in the year and came in fourth in the Sunny Hannah Amateur. So I had had great feelings going back there. But like you said, it's one day. And actually, the day of the practice round for that qualifier, my grandma passed away. Oh, God. So 
that was that was another challenge that I was trying to deal with and had weighing on my mind. But just to be able to get out of that qualifier and be medalist was honestly one of the best accomplishments of my summer last year, just because of how much I'd thought about it since they released that Oakmont was going to be the site right. that had the U.S. Amateur. Yeah, that's the other thing. But, you know, that's the other. it's a great point you just brought up. You know, they announced these U.S. Amateur sites years and years in advance. And I'm guessing you're, gosh, I mean, what, maybe 15, 16 years old, maybe, when that announcement comes out. So you know this is coming like two, three years down the line. So, yeah, that's that's actually, you're exactly right. That's an incredible accomplishment to deal with that pressure and deal with all the expectation just to get into the damn thing. Um, we're not going to rehash USM, but I want to make sure I did this right. You're, you're a Western PA guy. Um, so, Oakmont, this is my first time being in Oakmont, and my first time being at the Oakmont Bakery. This is mm-hmm. probably the best <laughs> off-site attraction in the area. And I was told for days and days, you got to go. I'm like, all right, it's donuts. I get it. I'll be there. I'll, I'll check it out. I've had donuts. Just calm down. I get into that place, and it was almost like if it, – it felt like I was in like a like a Mercedes-Benz car dealership that only sold donuts. It just was incredible. Now, I went maple bacon for my first time. Is that a good – I mean, is that good, or did I screw it up? So I've been there a bunch of times, and I've got – a lot of different items. And honestly, when I go there, it's usually after playing somewhere in Fox Chapel, Pittsburgh Field Club, and swing by down by the river and grab a big loaf of pepperoni bread. And that's what I take home to, oh, damn. to I my house. Up. I screwed up then. I screwed up. <laughs> yeah, that sounds a no, lot. But ironically, last night, apparently, a car crashed straight into the what? Oakmont Bakery. Yeah, right through the brick wall, and what? half the car was lodged in the in the wall. So you got to look that up. <laughs> All right, hold on, hold on. I got to check this out. Hold on. Oh my God! All right, Baker, I'm going to edit this out, of, of course. I'm looking. <laughs> oh my God! Unbelievable! Oh, oh my God! <laughs> this is a tragedy. Um, I'm not sure. I think I don't think anyone as far no, as I know nobody was hurt. Wasn't, yeah, it wasn't terrible, but the bakery'll take a little hit while they try to fix that. Vehicle slams headfirst into Oakmont Bakery, narrowly missing hitting three working employees. Oh my god. That's yeah. That's serious stuff. Her, her manager said that the roof fell in the bakery and we're like it's a brand the roof roof the roof fell in. Okay. Um wow. That's terrible. Um, yeah, the pepperoni. Uh, that sounds. Yeah, that sounds like you out ordered me. Um, yeah. See, I. By the way, for any of you aspiring golf journalists out there that happen to be covering Oakmont, if you get a bunch of donuts from the Oakmont Bakery and bring it into the media center, they love you for a long time. So just a quick little hint right there. That's a that's a boss move right there. Make sure you write that one down in case you're going to be covering a USGA event at Oakmont. Yeah, you can't go wrong by doing that. So course the sugar coma that didn't help any of the coverage that day but um but yeah that was i think i think i took a nap by like 10 a.m but it was that was um yeah that was one of my highlights of the trip so um gosh all right you've thrown me off with the whole crashing into the oak my baker i gotta reset right, here we you got know, we gotta refocus we gotta refocus <laughs> i gotta take this one one shot at a time here I'm, I'm off my game right now um let's i want to ask you quickly about before we talk about jones i want to talk about patriot really quick so 
runner-up at the Patriot. This is an incredible event out um, at Wigwam uh, right around New Year's Eve in Arizona. Um, you played fantastic there, 64, 67, 67. Um, you know, you're one back heading to the final round. Connor Howe of Georgia Tech goes off, shoots 63 in the final day, and, and just in, incredible victory. But obviously, Wigwam and Ocean Forest, completely different golf courses, conditions. I mean, one is just looks like a birdie fest. The other is just, you know, hang tight, hang on, and try and get through it. Is there a particular style of golf that fits your game better and also, how do you prepare for these different type of tests? You know you have to go low at in, at the Patriot. And even though you hadn't played Jones Cup before, you've heard all about Jones Cup. You know what's in store. How do you approach these types of tournaments? I try to prepare the same way for most tournaments, unless I know there's something very particular about the course that's different. When we went to Aaron Hills this fall, I knew there were going to be some shots around the greens that – you had to go up I don't know, 30, 40 feet just to get up to the surface of the green. So I changed my practice there, but yeah, I I've played in the Patriot a couple times now. So I knew that a lot of the trouble there is left and I like to work the ball towards the trouble. Sure. So I'm, I'm going to be hitting a lot of draws and I knew that. And when I know I'm going to be hitting a lot of a certain ball flight, I actually try to, well, one, make sure I can do that in the week leading up. Two, it's equally as important not to overdo it. And right. for me, I actually have to hit a lot of cuts in practice rounds and on holes that maybe I wouldn't do it normally just to make sure going into that first round I'm as neutral as I can be. And when I start hitting all those draws, it doesn't become an overdraw or a little bit of a push. So that's that's my main focus. I knew the Patriot, like you said, is going to probably be a shootout if conditions are good. And just focusing on short game being good that pretty much translates everywhere you go sure and good wedge play i figured was going to help me everywhere i went as well so that's interesting i want to make sure i understood this um first but for myself and also for listeners so when you're going to a course where you're going to need to maybe hit a lot of draws or a lot of fades your practice leading up to it is not necessarily to be like, all right, I got to hit draws out the Patriots, so I'm just going to work on drawing three woods during practice and drawing the ball over and over and over again. You actually do a little bit of the opposite and kind of keep yourself more neutral so that that draw doesn't turn into a hook. Is that kind of what you're saying? Exactly. Everything in my practice and everything about my philosophy is trying to get back to neutral every day, basically. And when I know it's going to be really windy, Maybe four or five days in advance of the tournament, I'll make sure I can hit the really low shots. Right. But I'm not going to hit them all week because by the time I spend four or five days hitting only low shots, that low shot's going to turn into maybe a low draw or it's going to be just too low. So I've learned through events like the U.S. Amateur Abandoned Dunes that if I keep hitting it low, especially in the wind, after the round, and before rounds, I have to hit high cuts in order to be able to hit it low. That's just how I work and probably has an important role in why I played well at the Jones Cup. Interesting. So it's a constant of not – basically you're just trying to not get too far onto one side of the spectrum. Exactly, yeah. A lot of my my game is based on working it both ways. I'm willing to move any club any direction and – 
when I have both ball flights, can I, when I can move it left and right is when I'm playing my best. Right. So I've learned the best way for me to do that is just to hit them both in practice and try to stay as neutral as possible. But it's not by hitting straight shots. It's by hitting both draws and cuts all the time. Excellent point. I'm glad we dove into that because that's something that people listening, whether it's juniors or other amateurs, they're going to at least, you know, I believe they're going to listen to that and say, okay, that makes a lot of sense. And maybe they're going to kind of gauge their approach in the future. So I'm glad we, we dove into that. Obviously, Jones Cup, like you said, biggest win of your career. This gets you, um, I don't think your Wagger uh, ranking has been updated yet. Currently, you're, I believe you're about 46, 47. I think that uh, obviously is going to change in the near future. And then the other thing that you're getting with this is not only adding your name to that list of champions, but also uh, PGA Tour exemption. You're going to be heading back to Sea Island later this year to play in the RSM Classic. And you're going to have a whole lot of time to get ready for that. I'm, I'm guessing that it's nice that that is so far in the distance. You can focus on college and actually your summer uh, schedule and not have to have that be jumping up to you in the next you know month or two. You, you hit it right on right there. I either wish the event was <laughs> the next this week. week. <laughs> right, it was right. either this week or a couple or several months from now. Um, if it was in the middle of summer, obviously it'd be great, but. I may have to tailor my my schedule a little bit for that one specific event and for it to be in late fall after our fall season yeah. and I've got a nice body of work in from this year uh, it's just a great time to to have an event any PGA tour event as an amateur is a special thing sure and for it to work out that well scheduling wise I'm very fortunate about yeah now I don't think I've really dove into this um on the podcast before but when you're setting an amateur schedule um you know whether it's the summer or playing you know i guess you call them off-season events whether it's a patriot jones south beach something like that um what is the draw of of individual tournaments you know like i know that uh you know in the summer there's ones that fit nicely together i mean obviously you live in pennsylvania and sunny hannah northeast are a nice back-to-back and it's in your you know their close proximity it's in your neighborhood uh, as well at least in your section of the United States. Um, obviously, this summer, the USAM is going to Jersey, so I think those two terms will be very, very popular. But does the PGA Tour exemption dictate necessarily whether or not you want to play in that event, or is it more time of the year? Like, how how does that – that ex- I mean, obviously, you're not thinking, okay, I'm, or maybe you are thinking that way about the exemption. Like, how do you kind of decide to play in a different tournament? I'm not going to change my summer schedule or anything like that based on one event that's in November. Right. Obviously, I'm going to pick and choose events that I think will make me make me play best throughout the year and hopefully best come November, but yeah, when when there's new events out there or events that you think you might get into, might not get into, I always try to pick the strongest fields I can and and make a balance between events that are going to be a challenge and events that you know you're going to be in contention for because in order to deal with contention in these big bigger events you've got to be able to do it in smaller local events so i've always been a big fan of balance nice okay yeah because it's there's so many gosh you guys can i mean amateurs are doing monday qualifiers for a corn ferry tour event or a or a um you know a pga tour event and then there's all sorts of tournaments all over the country and it's just it's fascinating to kind of learn like you know what's the approach because 
you know, there's, and then there's whether, you know, you get involved with what's going to help my ranking, but there's just all these different facets as to, you know, how you decide to go uh, approach setting up a schedule. Mm -hmm. So um, I want to get you out of here and uh, let you get back with your guys. I know you're in, in Orlando and, and you probably got qualifying coming up the uh, next couple of days. Good luck with that. I'm sure it'll work out nicely for you. So, um, Thank you. <laughs> okay, yeah, big, big, big stress, I know. So um, I want to get you out of here, but we've talked about several names that um, either uh, are, are Pennsylvania legends or and also some of them have been on the podcast as well. Um, let's see if I can get a, get a story or two. When I mentioned the name Sean Knapp, you mentioned earlier, <laughs> give me a good Sean Knapp story. Sean Knapp, play with him all the time back home. He's one of my best friends and a huge mentor for me. As, as I've grown up, I ask him for a lot of advice on things and he's, he's always been there for me. He's an amazing person. But this past year we were both battling, like we've talked about to try to qualify for the U S amateur. And we were at the same site at Sunny Hannah. And I knew I was in midway through the back nine, but all I cared about was, is Sean going to get in? Cause I knew he was close. And when we finished and I realized Sean made it by, I think either on the number or by one shot, yeah. I saw him after and he was pretty emotional. And it just, it just showed me how much character he has and how much he cared about not just him making it, but us making it together and us making it with our other playing mate all the time, Mark Getz. And Sean has been around the block in Western PA golf. He's won a USGA event. Um, and to see somebody like that be so happy for me and Mark and himself too was, was such a special moment for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. He's one of my all time favorite guys that I've gotten to talk to. And, um, of course, yeah, he's he's incredible. He just is absolutely incredible. And then I love the dynamic between him and Nathan Smith because you want to talk <laughs> about a couple amateur legends that probably couldn't be any more different. Uh, yeah, because Nathan Smith is just a walking comedy show. That other, I mean, other than the fact that you know he's you know, Walker Cupper and has four U.S. mid-ams to his title, but he's absolutely hilarious and um, another one of my all-time favorites. Yeah, Nathan is. Uh... He's a funny guy, but he's also, he's a very good guy. Um, I've known Nathan for a bunch of years now. And I actually remember the first time I may have really met Nathan was he was at Wildwood, which is his golf course, a little North of Pittsburgh. And I was there for maybe a U.S. kids event. Sure. And I walk in the halfway house and I'm with my dad and Nathan's in there and I didn't know who he was. And my dad said, you know who that is? <laughs> I was like, no, he said, oh, it's Nathan Smith. And Nathan, we I must have said hi and introduced myself. And he asked me something about hole-in-ones. He said, how many hole-in-ones do you have? Or I might have asked him that. Right, and right, right. he said, yeah, I think I have 10. And I said, oh, I have three. And he's like, well, you're you're going to surpass me here in a couple of years. That's incredible. But no, I've I played Nathan in the uh, – in the – four ball with Davis out of Chambers Bay. That was a pretty cool experience because everybody says you don't want to run into Nathan in match play. And I was fortunate enough to get a hot putter that day, but it's not just about playing against him or playing with him. It's, it's kind of the, the attitude and the fun he brings to golf every week at sunny Hannah. I know I've got pressure on me to perform at home, but 
having Nathan and Sean there to chat it up and make me laugh all the time is uh, <laughs> it's a pretty fun week. First time I ever saw Nathan Smith, it was at the 2012 U.S. Mid-Am. I was actually playing in it, and I had I didn't meet him, but I remember, and this is well before the podcast started, but I'm walking, I'm walking, you know, I know who he is, and I'm walking, you know, at uh, at Conway Farms and walking past the clubhouse, and there he is. He's sitting in a chair, and he's got his Blackberry out, and he's just typing away or doing something. I'm like, wow, that's Nathan Smith, and I'm like, that's Nathan Smith? I mean, I thought this guy's like a giant killer. He just kind of looks like an accountant that's catching up on emails after he shoots 66 or something. <laughs> it was the funniest thing. So, uh, Yeah, I, I, well, yeah, as you mentioned, Nathan's a, uh, he's a Walker Cupper, and I'm sure he's eventually, hopefully, in line to get the Walker Cup captain. So it would be really cool if somehow, some way down the road, I could have the opportunity to be on the same same team as him with him captain, but who knows if that'll happen. Well, I think I think you you both have great chances to be uh, obviously him being a captain and you being a, a member of the team. We just got to see if the timing works out. Exactly. Yeah. So. Yep. Well, sir, um, great uh, great week at uh, at Jones Cup. Obviously, that's uh, as we've talked about. Great accomplishment. It's going to open up a lot of doors, and especially one to the PGA Tour later this year. Enjoy the, uh, the the time here in South Florida. Enjoy that warm weather and uh, got a big spring ahead. Hope to see you at the national championship at Greyhawk. And I appreciate the time. Appreciate you stopping by the back of the range. Yeah, I, uh, it was a pleasure being on. And like I said, hopefully we could do it again sometime. But I'll see you around this spring and uh, take it easy on these other guys when you interview them. <laughs> oh, come on now. I, I'm always on my best <laughs> behavior. Come on. And there you have it. Special thanks to Palmer Jackson for joining me on this episode here at the Back of the Range. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Every single episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. We'll see you next time here at the Back of the Range.